Hello and welcome to the Be Your Own Loud podcast, where Kirk and I try to do our best to reverse engineer super freaking smart people and find out about who they are and what makes them tick. Today we're going to be meeting Eric Solomon, and he has created something called the Human Operating System. We're going to jump right in because there's so much information here that we want to talk about. We really want to pick Eric's brain. And as we begin, Eric, you have worked for some pretty freaking amazing huge name companies be your own loud every major company that we've ever heard of, youtube instagram spotify hp l'oreal samsung visa rockefeller pretty much freaking everybody that, that you could do work for why why did they hire you dude that is a good question. First of all, thank you so much for having me on this. I really appreciate it. So many of those companies you said I work for on behalf of when I was working with those companies or I've done some consulting with, really the primary ones, I got a I got a huge break with YouTube with somebody I had worked with in the early days had hired me in 2011 and it was just what an amazing time because it was just the epicenter of digital video skyrocketing up. I think they hired me, honestly, because I had a, a PhD attached to my name. So they thought I was way smarter than I actually am is, is the reality. Spotify, when I moved over to Spotify from YouTube, it was, it was me that did a lot of the knocking down doors. I was so hot to work for the product I used the most. That's why I went there. I went back to Google for, for a while. They hired me because I had a good reputation there. So they hired me back and, and let me do some stuff there. And then Instagram, I went over to Instagram. The, the hiring manager told me that they had interviewed something like 50 or so people. How the hell they came upon me, I have no idea, especially because I, I did that from New York instead of from the headquarters. I think it's good luck. It's good luck in being in the right place at the right time. No, but what what do you think that really was, Eric? Can you can you I know you're probably just being modest. No. But do you I, know? You know, I it probably comes down to the fact that I, I really do think I interview for jobs well. I think I go in there on myself. I don't put up any pretenses. I don't pretend to know anything I don't know. I think I put on a, a good show for them. And then of course I get on the job and I totally suck at it, but you know, at least I can get the interview part down pretty well. Eric, that's not a show. That's being yourself. And that may be <laughs> the true. hardest thing to do in, a, in an interview, just like a podcast for some people they're, they think they're on. No, I think it, it, it's a matter of that's the heart of it. It's knowing who you are, being comfortable yeah. with who you are and not doing too much compromising just because you're in a position where you might feel a little bit nervous. I just don't feel nervous in those positions. Yeah, because you know you're going to stick to what you know because right. you just said that. That's a problem for people. People want to try to be more than they are or think they know more than they do and they're always nervous about not having an answer. Mm hmm yeah. And if everybody just wants to pause and, and take that note, one of the things that you'll find out about what we're trying to do here with helping people rise above the noise and be their own loud is part of being your own loud is being your freaking self and being your authentic, genuine self, because that's mm -hmm. what your ideal clients and prospects are going to connect with with anyway. Now, Eric, when, when you worked with them, you don't have to use a name because I don't want you to get in trouble. Were there any specific companies that really stood out? Not only that they took your advice, but you're like, this is an amazing place to work. And, and without 
disclosing if you don't feel comfortable, why that was such a cool place to be involved with. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to do that again. You know, I, I may avoid specifics, even though I'm a, I'm okay to to share a little bit. But the best companies are are ones that, similar to people, know who the hell they are, and really have a strong value system and a purpose to them that goes beyond just making money and the bottom line, but truly has a purpose, and then ensures that that purpose goes through everything that they, they do in that organization. I've worked for some big companies, and that gets difficult to do as companies get bigger, obviously. I'll call that Google in particular. You know, I've worked there twice, uh, both with YouTube and then with Alphabet uh, and Google Inc. They, they really have, to some extent, set the model for modern technology companies and how they operate. Yes, there's a bunch of shit that's wrong with it. Don't get, don't get me wrong. And everybody would agree with that. But they, they really have set a template for saying, this is what we believe, this is what we're for, and this is how we're going to treat our employees and our customers. And that's really part of a cult brand. Part of what uh, Kirk and I, and actually Eric, how we got introduced to you is a good friend of ours, Rob Howard. Mm. He helped us build our brand. And when we read his book, Fix, that was one of the components that we thought was so powerful about creating a cult brand is the cult brand has to start from within. And so our listeners, if you truly want to have massive impact, if you're not having impact internally, then it's going to be much more difficult for you to have outward impact because it's not going to come across and this is my opinion, and Eric, you can tell me to pound sand, or Kirk, you can too. If if you don't have that internally and that culture is not built internally, it's much harder to represent that externally because it's not real. Is that true or am I way off? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think not only is it true, but it, it's become increasingly true as people's bullshit meters have gone up. If if a company says one thing and then you find out that there's toxicity on the inside, everybody knows about it. It's on Slack, it's on Twitter, it's on everywhere. I just don't think that companies can get away with it anymore. Good ones have always done it, but now all the, they all have to. We just had a, a great example of that here in Canada. One of our largest media companies are, uh, is Bell. Bell Media. Mm -hmm. They got a lot of money from the government through COVID. They also just recently had uh, something called Bell Let's Talk, where it's a mental health campaign. And it's become a, an incredibly viral and successful campaign for Bell. And then Bell let, just let go uh, many people. Wow. Record, record, uh, incredible profits, a ton of financial stability, got a lot of money from the government, turned around during one of the most, probably the worst year of our generation economically and, and mental illness wise. And they just laid off a bunch of people and they are getting utterly slammed. As well, they should. It's not, it's never good when somebody or something says one thing and then does another thing. We don't like that in human beings. We don't like that in businesses. I think, though, what's going to happen is we're going to get to a point where that actually impacts the bottom line of these businesses. And we haven't seen that yet. These companies can still be massively profitable and still treat people like garbage. But I think the time is going to change soon, I hope, where, where companies can't get away with that anymore. Yeah. And Amazon's employees are, are unionizing, yeah. right? Right. And Google's. Yeah. They should have hired you. <laughs> they, can still, they, can still, they can still hire you. I would think I'd be set a record for being the only person to come back three times to one company. So I think I'll, I'll pass on that. But yeah. <laughs> when it comes to 
Actually, I want to rewind. I want to, I want to like go back in a time machine here, dude, because I think one of the things that was fascinating, and as I was watching a video, by the way, that we're going to put in our show notes is a Vimeo video of you with this great presentation. And we'll make sure that your website's in there and stuff like that. You skirted over it very quickly in this presentation about this PhD. Why, why did you do that? I, I mean, you know, why were you so academically focused at the beginning of your adult life? Was that from upbringing? Did you set that as a goal? And, and after you were in your postdoc stuff, is that where the epiphany happened that, hey, this is kind of what I want to try to be when I grow up? A couple things there. I mean, I don't know how many people out there in the, in the audience or, or yourselves grew up in a, in a town where you desperately, all you wanted to do from the minute you were born is get the hell out of that town. But I, I, I grew up in one of those towns and my parents, both were wonderful people. I still have one, my mother, and she's still a wonderful person. Uh, I wouldn't exactly say they were the, the most educated people on the planet. Uh, I was the first person in my family to go to college. I think I did uh, make it a goal early on to say, I want to get educated so I can get the hell out of this place and do something else with my life. No disrespect, but I just didn't want that for me. That really drove. And then and also, I just didn't want to get a job. And I felt better just to keep on going in school while I could. So yeah. Yeah, but not everybody gets a gets the opportunity to get a PhD. I mean, you had to have been kicking some serious ass while you were in school in order to continue to move up the scholastic ladder. The truth was, I didn't feel like I had much else. Honestly, I was never pretty dorky. I'm not very sporty. I just didn't have a lot else. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to bank on something, I better bank on getting good grades and, and doing that. You know, of course, I went to a very liberal, liberal arts school in Portland, Oregon called Reed College, which is known more for its lax drugs policy than it is for, for anything else. So I I also, I also had a good deal of fun. Don't get me wrong. I had to buckle down. I think it also helped in terms of getting into to grad school where I got my PhD. It helped to not have a lot of money and come to it kind of poor because that meant I could get funding to actually go. And so that's what ended up happening. When Matt started, did the intro for this podcast for you today, Eric, I was a little worried you thought we were going to clone you because he said, we're going to reverse engineer you. <laughs> well, by all means, good luck. <laughs> yes. We actually try to reverse engineer your success and your, your, you know, your thinking and things like that. On that note, yeah, I'm curious coming from that background, what inspired you to start the human operating system? That's a little bit longer of a story. So feel free if I'm going on, uh, you can you can stop me uh, at any point. But to match earlier point, I ended up going on after grad school. I just wasn't done with school quite yet. I didn't, you know, here I was pretty young when I had my PhD. I was just 20, just over, just had turned 26. You know, I was 25, 26 years old. I ended up getting a, a postdoc, which is what you do on the way to be a professor. I did that in really the psychology of advertising. I was looking at elements of how the tobacco industry had used big data and psychologists and social science to manipulate kids into smoking so we could figure out how to counter market. And that's actually how I got into marketing. I, I interviewed people that owned ad agencies and eventually 
one of them did the reverse on me and pitched me to go work for him at the ad agency and leave academia and at, you know a young age and here i was feeling insecure about my where i was going to live and how much money i was going to make and he he said come work for me and you you know i'll show you the promised land that's how i got into advertising the journey that i had was was pretty i think like a lot of people especially people that aren't as reflective and i would put myself in that bucket earlier is i just let my career happen to me i did get lucky i was in planning director strategy and planning director in in, in creative agencies moved over to youtube was there for a while went over to spotify but i had a a moment not long into my spotify career that changed my life this is where, you know, apologies for getting heavy for a minute, but I don't think enough people are honest about this and, and vulnerable about this. I was coming back from a work trip about six or seven months after I started that job. And when I landed, I had a couple of voicemails from a number I didn't recognize. You know, I knew it was from my hometown where I grew up, and I didn't know the number. It was from the chief of police who told me that that morning, my father had been murdered. A lot of that time of recovery for me from that was ignoring the grief that I felt. One, because I couldn't really talk about it for a lot of reasons. And two, because I'm just not wired that way. I poured myself into these big jobs. I took on these big jobs in Instagram and I became the chief marketing officer of a, of a D2C company called Bonobos in the US, it's owned by Walmart. What happened is in 2018, talking two, over two years after my dad's murder, I, I learned that due to lack of evidence, I'd never know who killed him or what happened. And I made a huge decision at that point to only focus on the things that really matter to me. And in order to do that, I had to figure out what the hell actually matters to me. So I said, having been in technology for as long as I have in this world of psychology, I said, Everybody understands that an operating system is something simple and central that helps dictate more complex tasks and help more complex tasks happen. And in the same way, I need to build my own operating system. What do I stand for? What are my values? What do I believe? What's the vision for my life? And what is the mission for how I'm going to achieve that vision? I said, you know what? If I can do this for myself, why the hell can't I do this for other leaders and other companies? And that's how the human OS was born. I really do think of it as an homage to my dad, who I was very close to, to really say, I get to do now the work I'm best at, that I love the most, and I get to choose who I work with and how I work with them. What could be better than that? So that's, that's the story. I know it's a little heavy, but thank you. Those life events are what can, if you allow it, which which we're really glad that you, one, shared that, and two, that you allowed that to make changes in the reflection of, of where you are and where you're going in life. Kirk? Eric, thanks for sharing that with all of us. Uh, Matt and I and our two listeners, we appreciate it. <laughs> you didn't know that. We didn't tell you how many listeners we had when okay. you showed well, up. Well, you have three. I'll listen as well. So oh, I appreciate that. I'm guessing that's what sparked your uh, interest in being a board member in the Experience Camps for Grieving Children, which sounds like, I read that earlier about you, it sounds like an incredible initiative. Just a reminder, we want you to talk about that when we before we, before we get off our Great. episode today, okay? Matt, did you have a couple other questions? 
I want to find out a little bit more about the framework of the, the human operating system. Let, let's dive into that a little bit more deeply, please. Yeah, of course. I mean, anybody that's in the space of doing any sort of brand strategy work understands inherently what I'm trying to do with both leaders and organizations. I don't, I don't know if there's anything new under the sun. I help people figure out what their core story is. And that core story for me is about uncovering the heart of that story, which I really think is in the form of a heart. I write a love letter to these brands or to these people I work with. And from that comes the core, the purpose. And usually it's a few words, not much more. They're never used externally. That's like the internal mantra that guides people. And then from there, I really think of it as concentric, really like peeling an onion in a lot of ways. The whole, all the layers of the onion have to be there for the whole onion to be complete, but you can keep on peeling back. If you've got that core of the onion, the purpose, the heart, the next thing is really to think through, put some language to words like vision. I think people throw these words around all the time. I define vision as the end goal. What does the world look like in an ideal space if you don't exist anymore? That for me is, is an anchor point to say, what can we write down? So when we think about even experience camps, our, our vision is to ensure that every grieving child lives a life full of rich of hope and possibility. That in an ideal world, that's what it looks like. The mission then is how you go about achieving that vision each and every day. Then you've got to go through the other elements of really thinking of the human operating system. Think of it as a person. You've got the heart. Now you're starting to get some limbs, but you've got to make sure that you've got some personality. <laughs> Without that personality, there's not a lot of use to having some words on a page. The biggest thing that I see in the world is an abuse of values values for companies and values for people. They sit on a wall. Nobody ever sees them. Nobody pays attention to them. For me, it's about understanding truly what those values are, what they aren't, and then making sure that we program those values into everything that that company or person does from the emails they send to the way that they treat their employees, to the way that they treat their customers, to the way that they treat themselves. Then, of course, there's the external stuff around how do you then come up with the positioning, the idea of what you want to say, and then the actual messaging. So this is brand strategy work under a different wrapper. And I, I, I think one of my clients put it the best is, you help me tell the fundamental story that I've never been able to articulate before. When we went through our rebrand, Eric, and you and I talked about this when we were getting to know each other before the podcast. That's something that the branding team that we hired, I think, did a really great job with us. And uh, you brought up something that I studied in, in grad school, so I, uh, which which was Fritz Perls peeling the onion, right? So mm. uh, your background is in psychology. I don't know how much Perlsy and stuff that you that you studied, but the idea is as you continue to remove those outer layers, you're getting to the truth that's hidden inside. And and I believe that there are many people who once you get a couple of those in companies, once you get some of those outer layers off, they get really freaking scared, dude. And they're like, I'm out. Oh, don't ask me any more questions. How do you continue to get them to peel that onion, to get them comfortable, to get to the heart so that we can get to the limbs and get to the other stuff? Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's really a matter of 
ensuring that they understand what the process is and what they're getting into before they get into it. I'm not a big fan of surprises in a lot of ways. If somebody's not up for doing this work, then they don't have to. They can continue marching along to their own to their own beat. So at the end of the day, I feel very comfortable doing that initial stage of gauging. Are you up for this journey? Are you up to be a little bit vulnerable? Are you up to let your guard down and show me who you truly are? And if you're not, I'm probably not the right person for you. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. Hmm. What is the framework of your operating system or, or the principles that guide you that we can kind of give as learning lessons or things that people can think about that are listening to, to us? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I think the way that the best way that I can frame it up is if you think about whether it's business activity or all activity in your life as just a single dimension spectrum. On one end are the executional or transactional things that you as a person or we as companies have to do. So in a marketing company, you got to make ads and run PR campaigns and press releases and all of that stuff. And that's on one end. On the other end is all of the foundational elements of who you are, all of the stuff that we've been talking about. And I find that most people in most conversations and most companies in most conversations are happy to wallow on the executional or tactical end of that spectrum without ever really consulting, visiting, or rethinking what the foundation is. It becomes this, this exercise of saying, is the house that I'm seeing, and that house being a person or a company, is it built on a real foundation or is it a mirage? And I, I feel like so many times we are just staying on the side of the mirage and not going to the foundation. So you've got five foundational elements listed on your website here. Vision, mission, values, personality, positioning. And I will say that I've heard many years people talk about vision, mission, values. Personality has been something most companies have tried to hide. And then positioning is, is kind of where they go. I don't know how you cannot have personality if you've got a vision, mission, and values in place. And, and it becomes difficult sometimes to position yourself without that. I'm, I'm feeling like personality seems to be one of the things that is really missing from a lot of organizations. And I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I think that lots of founders and high-level people at organizations believe that there's a personality there but it's never codified or put down in a way that it can be acted upon. So for me, a personality is as much saying what you are not as what you are. And that's often how I do those exercises is we, we, we all have decisions that we have to make around personality as individuals and as organizations. Not every element of our personality is weighted the same in the same situation it's really important as an organization to say if we're going to if we're if we think that we're a fun brand you hear this all the time oh no we're fun what does fun actually fucking mean 
And what doesn't it mean? It doesn't mean we're going to be flippant or douchey. It means that we're going to be joyful and full of levity or something like that. And this is an example of how we do that. What I see is that companies say, oh, no, we got personality, tons of personality. We're fun. We're, we're joyful. You say, well, show me an example of that. And they can't point to anything. That's usually the problem. Yeah. That's like when, when companies hire ad agencies to make it look like they're so hip and all these things. And, and you realize that they're nothing like that. You talk to their service department, and you're like, wow. You, know, you you see their website and you're like, you just know that they're just full of crap. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, we yeah. just saw a whole Super Bowl full of those ads. <laughs> so, none of the country, none of the, none of the companies you work with, of course, but <laughs> um, don't be so sure about that. Yeah. I'm just messing with you. Yeah. We try to take our values and what we focus on as a company very, very seriously. And when somebody hires you, what comes out of that? is not just the branding so that they really understand who they are and what makes them truly fundamentally unique and different, but you also help them with the external component of them, which is which is marketing. What do you see that's working right now? So when, when the people who are listening to this are really looking for Eric Solomon to say, okay, put the time in, which I think we've done a good job of talking about and saying, you need to have a really deep dive into who you are, right? And, and let's, let's really peel back that onion and see what's on the inside. But I think there's other people who are going to want to say, okay, and maybe they've done that to whatever varying degree. What's next? What are you seeing in the world of marketing, which would be brand communication that is really working that our listeners could maybe like literally take to the bank? Yeah, no, I, I, it's such an important question because it comes from my fundamental belief that the world is absolutely full of noise so much noise. And this is where I'm really aligned with your our friend Rob Howard and the cult guys is I feel so much time and energy is spent doing marketing. And doing marketing means making a thing and putting it on TV or on Instagram or on Facebook and saying, great, we've done our marketing job. The question should be elevated to, as a business, what is our role in the world right now? What is our role in society and what actions can we take to improve the lives of people? And by people, we mean our employees and our customers. This is what the business roundtable set out to do when they announced that they're going to change what the purpose of a corporation is. They've made no progress on actually doing that by the way. But at the end of the day, we need to get people to understand that it's not just about doing marketing and putting a plan together and saying, we're going to spend money here with this message, but figuring out what tangible actions we're going to put out into the world to improve the lives of people. Yep. I'm, I'm curious what you think about podcasting or the role podcasting can play in the future of, of the human OS or, or some of the initiatives that you're talking about. The podcast universe has Again, there's a lot of content. How many podcasts are there? How much noise is there in the podcast world? But the beauty of podcasting, and Daniel Eck used to say this all the time at Spotify, he's always wanted to own the ear. That's always been his goal, is, is this idea of intimacy. There's a level of intimacy. It's, it's even why if you look at Clubhouse, and what Clubhouse is doing right now, the reason that that's valued at some ridiculous number 
is because it's an audio platform where you eavesdrop on other people's conversations. <laughs> There's something that connects with people on the complete audio nature of listening in on an intimacy. And I, I do have real questions about, I, you know, the, yeah, there's been native advertising in podcasts for a while now, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, I, I don't know if it's a place for interruption. It's not a place to be interrupted. It's a place to listen in and learn something and get entertained, informed, or educated. I guess those are the same on, on something. So I don't know what the future of brands or marketing is with podcasts. I haven't been super impressed with what the industry's done with it yet. For the record, I I had no idea how you were going to answer that question. Um, in case anybody's listening, if we set that up, but I don't think I could have ever scripted it better or wished for a different answer. <laughs> I wouldn't have. So thank you for that. Thanks for asking. Own the year is beautiful. Yeah, I was hoping you, I was, I was wondering if you wrote that down, Kirk. That was, yeah. when he said that, I was like, oh my God, that's so freaking powerful. I, <laughs> yeah. I think the podcast Smartless has absolutely nailed the interruption side of what you were just challenging. And I, I agree. Huh. There's this, I've, I've read a couple things, I mean, a couple points here. One is that the intimacy of a podcast is such that there's, there's studies on this that people are okay with 70, I think 75%, don't quote me on this, but something like 75% of people who listen to podcasts are okay with the interruption because the intimacy of the relationship they have with who they're eavesdropping on. I love eavesdropping too. I, we explain podcasting all the time as, as eavesdropping on a conversation in a, in a bar or a coffee shop with two, with, with one or three people that you would like to listen to what they're talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's that's interesting. I'm not aware of that. I've written it down. I'll check it out. Yeah. Oh, Kirk, <laughs> he's opened a can of worms, brother. We got Eric's going to come back and say, "No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding." Just for the essence and and and, and time, I would like to to start kind of wrapping our podcast up today. If you could give any advice, Eric, to to our listeners who are who are trying to rise above that noise, right? Who are trying to be their own loud, who are truly trying to be their their true brand, their true self, and get their expertise out in the marketplace. What advice would you give those listeners today? I think the best advice, and I learned this from somebody that that was one of my first bosses that I had when I moved over to YouTube. This very cool guy. I think he's still there. He's he was one of the older guys there. He was he was in his late 60s when I was there. Long hair, surfer guy, showed up in, in flip-flops every day. I'm just taken by the advice that he gave me, which is he always talked about leadership or rising above the noise in four qualities. And I, I've never forgotten this. And I've talked, and I, I talk about it now as if it's my own, but I always credit Mike with this. <laughs> The four things go back to a lot of what we've talked about before. The first is around having a vision. It's, it's impossible to rise above any amount of noise without knowing what the end goal looks like and what you're trying to accomplish. It is useless to have that vision if you don't have passion. That's the second thing, passion for that vision. It's not a vision because you think it's something that the world needs alone. It is do I resonate it with it? And is it 
is important to me. So we've got vision, we've got passion. The third one is persuasion. And that, that's not meant to sound evil in any way. It's meant to say you can have vision and passion, but if you're not good at communicating it and not good at figuring out what your story is around how you tie that vision and passion together, it's not going to be, it's not going to land. And then the fourth one is probably the most important is the idea of humility. And I think about humility. I read this in a book a while ago, and again, I've appropriated it, but humility is you draw a line across a page and you say you're either above that line or below that line at any times. And when you are below that line, you're committed to being right. You are closed. And when you're above that line, you're committed to learning and you're open that makes the difference in bringing that vision, passion, and persuasion to life. Because it's not about saying, I'm going to do something new. It's about saying, I care about something so much, and I'm putting my own spin on it, that I am okay being wrong, and I'm okay with sharing a part of who I am and not worry about what the implication of that is. I think about those four qualities all the time, and they're very hard to achieve all at once. Hey man, you're firing on all cylinders if you're hitting all four of those at the same time. I mean, that's right. that's like a life goal to aspire to, to meditate and to practice. But, and that's really that's really where I would leave that personally is you aren't going to be there. It's just like you're not going to be loud all the time. You're not going to rise above the noise all the time. It, it's that process of continuous improvement and making strides towards being that more authentic self, that better person, so that you can live your vision, passion, and be persuasive. Because what I'm finding is the, the, the deeper and deeper we get into being your own loud, I'm becoming much more persuasive because I'm finding ways in my life to live our vision as a company. The, the humility factor, especially in, in when you're an expert, you know, really like you, Eric, you're literally the definition of an expert with a PhD and postdoc, <laughs> you know, maintaining that level of humility a lot of times can be difficult. But one of the greatest things about advanced education, and, and I, you and I talked about this before, is the more you know, the more you realize, man, you don't know crap on the grand scheme of things. Right. You know a whole bunch about something really focused. Kirk, do you have a final question before we wrap up today? No, I just wanted to give Eric the opportunity to give his website, who he likes to work with. That might be kind of obvious, but maybe work with other companies other than the Fortune 500. And the last one is if you want to talk, just give us a little thing on the experience camp for grieving children. Oh yeah. Thank you so much. I prefer honestly to work with startups than I do big companies because mm -hmm. you can build them from the ground up and work directly with the founders. My website is thehumanos.co. Somebody had the .com, so I'm a .co. I just have to roll with it. I'll take it. So thehumanos.co. Experience Camps, as we mentioned, is just an incredible organization. I've been on their board for, it'll, it'll be two years this year. I got involved with them because of what I had been through. And I was 38 when I went through my tragedy. And all I could think of is, my God, what would it have been like if I was a kid? You had that anchor pulled out. And sure enough, the literature shows kids that lose a parent, primarily when it's due to something like suicide or overdose on drugs, 
they're much more likely to go down a dark path. What we do at Experience Camps is provide free one-week camp experiences for these kids, many of whom come from backgrounds where they've never been to camp, they can't afford it, and provide them with an experience that truly transforms their life. We do that for approximately a thousand plus kids a year, not to mention we have ongoing support throughout the year for these kids and their families. The camp is just the pinnacle of the experience. So really what we are is we're experts in understanding childhood grief, really at a time that we're going through right now, where so many people experiencing grief on a mass scale, what we're doing couldn't be more vital and important. Everybody check out Experience Camps, it's an incredible organization. Eric, thank you very much for your thought leadership here. We really appreciate it on the Be Your Own Love podcast where we're trying to do whatever we can to <laughs> reverse engineer the, 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 the person's expertise <laughs> instead of Kirk saying earlier that I was going to try to genetically clone you and just reverse engineer Mr. Eric Solomon here. But please check out the humanos.co and make sure that if you're on Clubhouse, follow Eric. Uh, he's also very active on, on some other social media platforms. But Eric, thank you so much for uh, taking a deep dive with us today and helping our listeners figure out what they can do to be fundamentally different in the marketplace. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to chat. Thank you for listening to Be Your Own Loud, where we reverse engineer success to help you accelerate your influence and break free from the torment of sales. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to our podcast, share with others in your company or profession, follow us on social media. This podcast is brought to you by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. Visit us at Proudmouth.com and join our Influence Accelerator Academy for free to enhance your marketing mindset and know-how.